Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Well, what is up, Canvas Church? Thank you, you guys. Man, it is great to be here. I just, uh, I want you to know I am just so excited uh, to be here. As Pastor Ben mentioned, uh, my name is Matt Keller, and I am the founding and lead pastor of Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida. And so we live on the other west coast of, of the United States, and that's actually how we say it. Uh, so, uh, man, it is great to be here. My family and I are on a, a California vacation, and so my wife Sarah is here in service with me today, and my boys were in the 9 o'clock service and then decided that they've heard Dad preach this before, and so they're not interested anymore, and so they're out walking around the mall find, finding something. So anyway, uh, man, it's great to be here. We love San Diego. Wow, such a great city. I'm a huge baseball fan, and so took the family yesterday to Petco Park, the Padres Stadium, and I, I have a goal to see all 30, a game in all 30 stadiums, and I have four to go, and as of yesterday, I only have three to go. So thank you, and, and I'm telling you, it's an awesome ballpark. If you've never been down to Petco, you got to go. Like, it's under, you, like, I, I literally said to my family yesterday, like, San Diegans, don't know what they have. Like, no, it's a, it is the best ballpark in the majors. I'm just telling you, as a guy who's been to 27 of them. Now, I know. It's awesome. So anyway, man, it's great to be here. Uh, as, as Pastor Ben mentioned, uh, we serve on the lead team of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, and together we're planting hundreds of churches a year. Whether you realize it or not, uh, your giving to Canvas Church actually helps the ARC plant other churches. And so this year we'll plant well over 100 churches across the United States and other countries now. It's awesome. It's just great to be a part of what God is doing. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, I love being in church in a movie theater. Can I just tell you that? Because once upon a time, we're in the story series, and I'm going to tell you a story here in a second, but I'll tell you a little of our story. So once upon a time, 15 years ago in May, actually, we celebrated 15 years, uh, my wife and I left the only home we had ever known in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and moved 1,300 miles away to Fort Myers, Florida, and didn't really know anybody, honestly, didn't know a soul really there, uh, and just had a big vision in our heart and no clue what God was, was going to do, and just no, no idea how to do it, and uh, anybody ever felt like that? Uh, we had $9,200 to our name, which is not a lot of money to start a church, by the way. Uh, even 15 years ago, it wasn't. And so we felt like underdogs, man. Anybody ever felt like an underdog in your life? I, I know for me, all my life, I've felt like an underdog. Next Level Church is kind of an underdog story. So we started meeting in the Bell Tower 20 movie theater. So in a movie theater just like this, we did exactly 200 Sundays in a movie theater just like this. And so this is my favorite, you guys. I'm just telling you, I love being in movie theater church. And here's why, because we redeem it. Six and a half other days a week, this space is used to glorify everything other than God. But today, right now, we redeem a worldly place for the glory of God. Aren't you thankful we can redeem a place like this? You can feel the presence of God's Spirit in this place, man, what an awesome worship team, great people, great church, great pastors. You just love your pastors. Yes, just all, come on, a little bit better than that. Love these guys. And as, as a rule, I like tall people. So literally, we've been telling our kids, they're like, now, what, now who are we going to preach for? What's going on? And I'm like, he's tall. 
You'll know. You'll know. You'll know when you see him because he's tall. And so Ben came walking out the front doors to meet us this morning. And I'm like, see, I told you. And my boys are like, yeah, wow, he's tall. It's awesome. So we started four years in a movie theater. Then after that, moved to a brand new high school. Did another five years portable. So we were a portable church for nine years. Exactly 460 Sundays, but who's counting? Uh, and, and God just did incredible things. And then six years ago, purchased our first permanent facility. Moved in there and just saw God do incredible things there. And then three years after that, purchased some raw land. Built a whole nother building. So it has added a second location. And then just last September, right about the time you guys were moving into this movie theater... We launched our third location in a movie theater again, the Coconut Point Movie Theater, south of, of our other two locations, about 20 or 25 minutes. And so we have three locations, nine services on a weekend. It's just been an incredible underdog thing. Like, really, when we moved there, uh, we, had, we got the y'all go ahead treatment. Anybody know what the y'all go ahead treatment is? You know how the Apostle Paul said, you know, in, in the New Testament, we extended the right hand of fellowship. We got the left foot of fellowship. Kind of the y'all go ahead, don't call us, we'll call you deal. And 15 years in, they're still waiting for him to call. Like, they, they just, they've never called. And there we were. So we were kind of left for dead on the southwest um, Florida coast. And, but God has been good. And uh, we were an underdog. And here's, here's the cool part. When I heard that you guys were in the middle of this story series, I, I just... Um, a few years ago, and they mentioned it in the video there, um, I wrote a book called God of the Underdogs. And it's a collection of nine stories from the Bible of underdogs that God used in a great way. And here's what's cool. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but this book, the Bible, is a collection of underdog stories that everyone God used. Think about it. Everyone God used in a great way, including Jesus, by the way, because death was undefeated. That made him the underdog. Everyone God used in a great way in Scripture was an underdog, and they had to overcome an underdog excuse and order their destiny and reach their full potential. And so today, as we continue our story series, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to tell you a story from the Old Testament. And it's a story of a guy that, if you've been around Bible study uh, at all, you're certainly familiar with this person, but I want us to see inside this underdog story of King David. Yes, that King David, the one they make veggie tales about. Okay, here's the deal. If you get a veggie tail made about you, you, like you've arrived. Like, I don't know what else to do. It's like, oh, veggie tail, boom. Bob, I got you, bro. So turn with me. If you have a Bible or you have a smartphone with a Bible app on it, turn or click with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't have either of those, don't worry. The verses are going to be on the screen. You'll be able to follow along there. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want us to look at this underdog story of David because here's the thing. Long before King David was King David, one of the greatest list leaders in the history of the world, greatest leaders of the nation of Israel. Long before that, King David was just David. He was an underdog. And so here's the deal. Let me set up the story while you're turning or clicking to 1 Samuel chapter 16. So the children of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, basically uh, were serving God, but they, they started looking around at the other nations, and they realized that they, all the other nations around them had kings. And so they came to God, and they're like, God, we want a king. See, all these other nations, they have kings. We want an earthly king. Like, and God was like, no, trust me, I'm your king. That's better. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know you're our king, but they have earthly kings. We want an earthly king. And God's like, trust me, you don't want an earthly king. It's better than it looks. And they're like, yes, we do. No, you don't. Yes, we do. Like a, little, like a toddler at Target, they were fighting with God. So finally, God relents, and he's like, you know what? Fine. You want an earthly king? Great. So he reaches down, and he chooses a man named Saul. Now, 
Bible tells us that Saul was like, like he was like a man's man. Like he was a linebacker king. Like he was, the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else in the army. Like he was gifted, just tall, dark, and handsome. Just he was the man. But the problem was, as a leader, Saul was kind of schizophrenic in his leadership. So he was like, God, I'm all in one day. And then the next day, he's like, no, forget you, God, I'm going to go my own way. And then, oh, sorry, God, I'm back, I'm all in. No, forget you, I'm going to go my own way. Well, God gets tired of this, like, tennis match of back and forth. But one day I'm in, one day I'm out with Saul. And so finally, God relents, and he says, you know what? I'm going to lift my hand of anointing or blessing or presence off of King Saul, and I'm going to anoint someone new, a new leader, a new king, to take my people in a whole different direction to help them live their destiny like they never have before. So in order to do that, he's got to get the word out. And so uh, to, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where we pick up the story, God shows up to a guy named Samuel. Now, who was Samuel? Samuel was the prophet of the day. In other words, he was kind of the preacher of the day, kind of the guy that does what Pastor Ben and I do. Like he's kind of that. And so in those days, when God wanted to deliver a message to his people, he would speak to a prophet, a preacher of the day, like Samuel, and he would send him and he would anoint a new king or he would choose somebody or he would be God, kind of God's spokesperson to his people. So that's what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel. So what's going on? Here's the deal. Samuel and Saul were close. They were friends. And so when Samuel finds out that God has lifted his hand of blessing or anointing or favor off of King Saul, Samuel's depressed. He's discouraged. He's like, really? Like we went to all this work to choose him and he's not the guy anymore? And so where we pick up the story right here, Samuel is probably laying on the couch Got a bag of Doritos on the belly, like watching reruns of Sports Center, just depressed. And God's like, "Hey, Samuel, how long are you going to keep moping around that things aren't going the way you want them to go? I need you to get up. I need you to move." Look, verse two. He continues on, or verse one. Fill your horn with oil, God says, and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Here's the first thing I want to share with you. Five thoughts on David the underdog. Here's the first one. Number one, God wants to do something new in our lives. Just like God wanted to do something new in the children of Israel with God's people in the Old Testament, God wants to do something new in our lives. But here's the problem. Most of us are just laying on the couch with our head down. It's possible that some of us have come into this room today and you're depressed, you're discouraged, your head is down because you look around the circumstances of your life and you're like, man, I feel like it's not going the way I wanted it to go. I feel like it's not working. I thought I had this cool plan. Like Saul was the man. He was head and shoulders taller. Like he was awesome. And now, what? Some of you look at your marriage and you're like, man, I, th I thought I had it figured out. Like, you look at your finances and I wish it was different. And we got our head down and we're laying on the couch and we're watching reruns. And God would maybe, just maybe brought me from Florida and you from wherever you lived so that our paths could intersect so that I could say on behalf of him, hey, how long? How long? How, li how long are you going to live with your head down? How long are you going to live in despair and discouragement and depression? Don't you owe it to yourself? Don't you owe it to your future to let maybe, just maybe June 4th be the last day that we just walk around discouraged? 
Well, Matt, you don't understand. No, 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 I got it. I got it. Samuel was pretty depressed. Like, this is bad news. The first king that he chose was flaking out. Like, this is bad. And so Samuel kind of pushes back on God. Look at verse 2. So God says, hey, get up. I want you to go to Bethlehem, this no, middle of nowhere village. And there's a guy there named Jesse. And I want, I'm going to choose one of his sons to be king. And look what, look what Samuel says in verse 2. But Samuel said, God, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Okay, here's the deal. Samuel's laying there on the couch, probably, you know, mutes or pauses sports centers. Like, what's that, God? Hasn't shaved in a couple weeks, which is back then was normal. And God's like, I want to choose. I want to go a new direction. I want to do something new in, in, the, in, in my people. And Samuel's like, you know what, God? That sounds like a really cool idea. Um, but here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not or if you remember. But we already have a king. And if our present king finds out that you and I are choosing a new king... He's going to be really, really upset. And since you're like all invisible and stuff, which is cool, he's going to be so mad, he's probably going to want to kill someone. And since, well, you're invisible, he's probably going to want to kill me. What happens? The minute God wants to go a new direction, fear enters the picture. Number two, write it down, write it down, write it down. Watch this. New things always come with fear. New things always come with fear, don't they? Isn't it true? Fear and excuses. It always comes with fear and excuses, doesn't it? And here's, here's the thing about Samuel's excuse. It was right. Like, my man, that's thought through. Like, that's legit. Like, Saul, Saul is a wacko risk, man. He'll come get you. So if I'm looking on at this scenario, I'm like, yeah, that's a point for Samuel. What do you got, Lord? Right? Fear and excuses. Hey, let me ask you a question today, Canvas. How long are you going to let your excuses and your fears control your future? Because see, all of us find ourselves at times in seasons where we want to look back at God and go, God, you don't understand. If I start doing that, if I start giving you the first 10%, then how am I going to? But God, here, look, the math doesn't work. He'll kill me. And God goes, yeah, I know. Look at God's response to Samuel. I love this. The second part of verse 2. He says to him, go ahead. God replied, take a heifer. <laughs> I love it. God will hear none of it. Like God is like, yeah, 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 he'll kill you, whatever. Go get the cow. What are we talking about? Put the Doritos down. Go get the cow. We're going. We're going to Bethlehem, Samuel. Listen, hey, some of us have let our fear control and keep us from our future long enough and God is saying to you today's the day that you stop letting fear and intimidation control your future listen anytime we step into something new for God fear is always going to be a constant companion but just because fear will always be a constant companion doesn't mean we have to let it control us it's time to stop letting fear control your future it's time to step out and say, God, no more excuses. I'm in. 
God wants to do something new in your life. He's got a new thought, a new relationship, a new ministry opportunity, a new, a new generosity opportunity for us. And we can't let fear and excuses keep us from stepping into what God has for us. So verse 4, look, it tells us Samuel's decision. So he did what the Lord said, which is good. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? A little Star Trek reference there. Verse 5, Samuel replied, yes, in peace I come. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Okay, what's going on here? So here's the deal. Basically, the only time back then that prophets would roll into a little town or village like this is when they had done something wrong and they were there to deliver the judgment of God. So as soon as the, the priests, the elders, the kind of the head of the town, see Samuel coming down the road, they start freaking out. Because they think, oh no, somebody sinned. Who sinned? Who sinned? I told you to be home early. Who right? Like they start, and they're like, and then Samuel's walking, and they're like, you better confess. You better own it, brother. Right? And then Samuel walks up, and they're like, hey, brother Samuel, do you come in peace? And Samuel's like, I, in peace I come. Right? Like, it's right there. It's in the Bible. It's and, and, uh, like all of a sudden Samuel's like, hey, nobody sinned. And they're like, see, I told you we were good, you guys. See, I told you I knew all along, right? And then Samuel rolls into town. He's like, okay, so here's why I'm here. We're going to have a church service tonight. Okay, so go home, consecrate yourselves, get yourself cleaned up. Okay, get ready and then come back tonight. And then the whole town's kind of come around to see Samuel, the prophet, while he's rolled in. And he says, okay, so everybody, we're going to do the church service thing tonight. Okay, and then he finds this guy named Jesse. And he looks at Jesse, and he pulls him aside, and he says, hey, come here, come here, come here. Are you Jesse, Bethlehem? Okay, here's the deal. All right, I need you and to go home and your wife and get all your boys, okay, and, and consecrate yourselves and come back, okay, so here's some free tickets, okay. I'm going to have special seating right up front for you, okay. Your name's going to be like Velcroed right on the chairs, okay, so you just come. So they do. So everybody goes home. They shower up. They consecrate. Do the whole deal, right? And then I'm, I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Some of you are like, I studied Old Testament theology. I don't think that's exactly what consecration means. I know. Go with me. So, so here they are. And so you can see it, right? The white tent, right? They got the deal. There's probably a choir step touching up there, right? There's an organist named Mildred with the Coke bottle glasses. And it's dun, 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 dun. She probably wasn't playing that. But I'm a baseball fan, so like when I think organist, that's what I think right there. Like seventh inning stretch, what are we doing? So everybody's filing in, they're finding their seats, right? And Jesse and his wife and his boys are all lined up on the front row in the choir. They sing, you know, they do three songs. And then a guy comes up and they probably do communion with a little wafer deal. Peel it back, peel it back. Instamunion, we have it at our church too, it's awesome. So somebody probably comes up and gives two or three announcements. They show it in bumper video, you know, and then Frank Sinatra sings, and then a guy in a really cool shirt stands up, gives an incredible message, and then Samuel, it's time for the anointing, right? It's time for the time to choose a new king. So Samuel steps up, and he has Jesse and his family, all of his boys stand up. And look what happens. Verse 8, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So it's time to anoint a new king. It's time to choose the new king over Israel. And he looks at Jesse and he sees his oldest son Eliab. And here's Eliab standing before him and he's tall, dark, and handsome. Looks a lot like Saul. He's a warrior. He's in the army. And 
Samuel instantly presumes and goes, man, this has got to be the guy. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Number three, write it down. God's plan is always different than our plan. God's plan is always different than our plan. See, Samuel thought he knew the plan. Samuel thought he had it all figured out. Samuel thought, tall, dark, and handsome, looks a lot like Saul. He's a warrior, just like our present king. Surely this is the guy. And God goes, hey, 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 hey. Don't be presumptuous with me. Don't get ahead of me. Stay with me. Stay with me. And Canvas, listen, here's what I think. I think it's possible that some of us have come into this room today, and when you look across your life, you, you are confused, you are frustrated. Some of you even are angry at God because it hasn't went like you thought it was supposed to go. And you went, no. I went to college. I went to grad school, got my MBA, worked there for two years to get my resume built up, went to another place that was better for three years, got my resume built up. God, it, it was supposed to work like this. And now you look at your life and you're like, but God, why isn't it working? Why am I unemployed right now? Why am I stuck in this dead-end career? Why are my kids that I raised in the house of God, why are they not serving God? Why are they going every direction but God's direction? Why this man that I married that I thought was a godly man, why is he, why is he not stepped foot in a church in 18 months? God, some of us today, we had the plan. But God hasn't done it according to plan. See, that's where Samuel was. He's looking on going, God, I thought I, I thought I knew what I was looking for. Like firstborn, that's how in that culture that mattered a ton. Tall, dark, and handsome. Like Eliab's supposed to be the guy. And God's like, no, no, no. Listen, some of you, here's, what, here's the word for you today. Just because your life hasn't gone according to your plan doesn't mean that God is not still at work with his plan. His plans are higher than ours. So Eliab stands up and Samuel gets a little presumptuous. He's like, this is the guy. And God's like, no, 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 stay with me. Look, verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and told him to pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, yeah, no, not him either. Then Jesse had Shema, the third son, passed by. But Samuel said, nope, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. Verse 10, look, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And the Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Okay, here's the thing. We read this stuff often in the Bible, and we just go so fast that we miss it. But, time out. Put yourself in that church service for a second. That's like the worst, most awkward church service ever, right? Like you're about seven rows back. Jesse, the wife, seven kids all stand up. Eliab, and you kind of lean over and elbow your wife, and you're like, oh, Eliab, I love him. He's going to be a great king, tall, dark, and handsome like Saul. And then Eliab gets shot down, and you're like, ooh, right? Then, then Abinadab stands up, and your wife's like, oh, awesome. He's so artsy. He's going to be a great king, royalty. And then he gets shot down, and then Shema stands up. They're dropping like flies, right? Like that is not a church service you want to be in. Boom, 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 boom. But like the Von Trapp family singers, man, those kids are saying so long, farewell. I'll beat her saying goodnight. And then if this church service can't get any more awkward, look, 
Samuel steps into the awkwardness, looks right at Jesse, verse 11, and goes, these are all the kids you got? <laughs> at that point, you in row seven with your wife, you are rolling, you're taking her hand, you're like, come on, honey, we got to go, we got to go. And you're like trying to sneak out because the preacher is it's calling some dude out. And then if this can't get any worse, Jesse, the father, look. He admits how horrible of a daddy is. You know what? There actually is one more. I forgot him. He's out with the sheep. Okay, that would be like Pastor Ben standing in the foyer of your church, meeting a new family with like four beautiful little kids and be like, oh, how cute are they? Did you leave any back there? And then for the parents to be like, oh, we did. Oh my goodness. Thanks for reminding us, Pastor. We forgot little Davy. We always forget little Davy. Go back and get him in the nursery. Right? Like, this is horrible. You do not want to be in this church service. How do you forget a kid? You don't. You don't. David's earthly father did not think enough of him to even call him in for the service. Number four, write it down. Listen, there will always be non-believers on the path to our dream. When you and I start to step out in God, guess what? There will always be naysayers. There will always be people who are doubters. There will always be people who look on and go, you want to do what? You dream of doing what? You believe in God for what? When Sarah and I moved to Southwest Florida 15 years ago, guess what? We literally sat in the bishop's office, the big dog pastor, and we told him about moving to Fort Myers. And he looked at us and he said, I've been to Fort Myers a lot of times and there's a church on every corner, which there's not. And he looked at us and he said, it'll never work. Hey, I sure am glad I didn't listen to the naysayers. You know why? Because today we have three locations. Did I tell you that? We have a third one. We went to another yeah, movie theater. We're back. It's awesome. I float around on Sundays. Every time I'm down there, I'm like, you guys are my favorite. Don't tell the others. Hey, there's always going to be naysayers on the path to your dream. But we can't let that stop us. We can't listen to the naysayers. David had a naysayer in his dad who didn't even see his potential or believe in him enough to invite him in. Okay, but watch this. You see Jesse's response, but then look at Samuel, the man of God's response. Look, Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Standing up in their culture was a sign of respect and honor. That when royalty or someone important came into the room, you would stand, okay? And it's still supposed to be that way in our world today, which, by the way, time out, we're losing that. This is not a political statement. I'm just telling you we're losing that, the respect for the office in our world today. Sarah and I just last Sunday took our, our boys, it's a family tradition, to the Indianapolis 500. I went 31 years in a row with my dad. So now I take my wife and kids, and it's awesome. And so last uh, Sunday at the Indy 500, um, Vice President Mike Pence, who was the former governor of Indiana before he became vice president uh, now, he was there. So he came back with his family to watch the race and attend. And, and about an hour before the race, his motorcade came through. 
And as his motorcade came through, literally there were 300,000 people at the event, but over 100,000 people at that time stood to their feet as his, as his limousines came down the front straightaway. You know why? Because whether you like him or not, believe in his politics or not, he is the vice president of the United States, and it is right to stand and honor that office. We have to be careful. We have to be careful in our world today that we're not losing this. So isn't it interesting that Jesse, David's earthly father, didn't think enough of him to even invite him in. And Samuel, the moment he realizes that this kid named David exists, begins treating him like royalty. And listen, you never had an earthly father who was proud of you. You never had an earthly dad who told you they loved you. You never had uh, that, that authority figure. You had someone in your life who spoke words of, of hurt and pain and death over you. Listen, I want you to know something. Even if, the, even if your earthly examples were horrible to you, guess what? I want you to know you have a God in heaven who looks down and says, I'm going to treat you like royalty. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are beautiful in my eyes. And no matter what your earthly Jesse has did or didn't give to you, you have a Samuel who says, hey, nobody sits until my man Davey gets in here. We're going to treat him like royalty. Verse 12, so they sent for him and he had, they had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Ladies, he was hot. Then the Lord said, rise. Wait, I thought we were all standing. We were. Rise and anoint him. This is the one. Rise. How can we rise if we were all standing? We were, we were all standing until David came in and then they all bowed. Which would make Samuel have to say, rise. This is the guy. Guess what? Number five, write it down. God always change, chooses an underdog to change the world. Enter David, the underdog, the runt of the family, the eighth in line, the not thought of enough shepherd boy, and God reaches down and says, I want to take my people in a new direction. And I'm going to choose an underdog to do it. Listen, maybe you've come into this place today. And you feel like an underdog in your life. I want you to know something. You are. But you have permission to believe that it's you God wants to use to change the world. Do you know what happens in the very next chapter? Do you know what 1 Samuel 17 is? It's the story of the army of Israel on one side of a valley and another army over here on the other side of the valley and they were, they were the army of the Philistines. And for 40 days they had stood, these two armies, with this valley between them and every one of those 40 days the army of the Philistines had sent out one warrior in particular a giant as a matter of fact that we know as Goliath and he would come out for 40 straight days and he would taunt God and he would taunt God's people and so in the very next chapter our little Davy the underdog comes rolling in with some Subway sandwiches the original sandwich artist to deliver to his brothers the awesome warriors who were scared in fear and when he gets to the battle lines, he hears this big ogre Goliath screaming and cursing at God and at God's people. And he says, is anybody going to do anything about that? 
And this little shepherd boy, okay, where does this little nobody shepherd boy, runt of the family underdog, get the courage to go after a Goliath? Well, I believe the reason why David had the courage and the power is because he remembered 1 Samuel 16 where God anointed him. And he stood in that valley and faced that giant that day with the knowledge and understanding that I am not going out in my own strength. I'm not going out in my own power. I am going out in the anointing of God on my life. And I'm going to slay the giant with that anointing. So listen, whatever the giant is that you're facing in your life today, guess what? I believe you can slay it. Not as a shepherd runt underdog. You can slay it with the power and anointing of God. It's on your life. David changed the world as an underdog. And I believe every single one of you have the power to change your world. Not in your strength, not in your ability, not in your talent, not in your charisma, but in God's anointing as underdogs as well. Can we pray together? Come on, all across this room, just bow your head. Listen, if you're here today and you need to rise up in your life. God's taking you in a new direction. God's doing something special and big in you and God wants you to, he's calling you to rise up. You need to put fear and excuses aside. Listen, and you need the touch. You need an anointing of God for the underdog. Like David had to come on your life. I want to ask you to raise your hand right now. Come on, all across this room. Just right now, right now, right now. Put your hand up. My hand's up. Come on, come on. Put your hand up. Heavenly Father, you see these hands and Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask you, God, to move upon us. I ask you, God, to give us the anointing and strength of the underdog. God, you chose David and out of the way, nobody, little eighth in the, in, the, in the row, shepherd boy, to change the world and slay the giants. So God, we raise our hands right now to receive that anointing, that same anointing on us. God, it's not our own strength. It's not our talent, our charisma, our ability. God, it is only your spirit in us that gives us the ability to change our world and reach our destiny. So Father, I pray that anointing would rest upon each of these in this church. Lord, I pray for that anointing to rest upon Canvas Church. And right now, Lord God, I pray for Pastor Ben and Katie. God, I thank you for this amazing couple that you have called to this church, to this region of the United States to do great things for you. Father, thank you for the tears that they have they have, have, have shed in private, that in secret, that we'll never see, that we'll never know, for the pain that they have endured. God, I pray blessing. I pray increased anointing upon them. God, you are going to raise them up and raise this church up, God, as a model, as a, as a testimony, not just in Southern California, but across our nation, in our world, across Mexico as well. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to use this great church, use this amazing couple, God, your favor is upon them. Lord, you found them trustworthy. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd give them wisdom. I pray that you would bring encouragement to them and blessing. God, thank you that you have raised up Canvas Church for such a time as this, not to just impact our lives, but to impact the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of others across our nation and our world in the years to come. So, Lord, bless Pastor Ben. Katie. God, increase your anointing and abundance upon them. These underdogs that you chose to lead this part of the body of Christ. 
in Southern California. God, we rejoice and praise you that Canvas Church, an underdog church, is mightily blessed and favored of God. Lord, I speak that blessing over these leaders, over these pastors, over this church. And we thank you that you use underdogs, God, just like us. In Jesus' name. And everyone across this room who agreed said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.